Hope you had a good weekend, and we're here to kick off the work week with another Monday Pun Day. I had a parish priest once who had previously worked as an attorney. I referred to him as my father-in-law. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Patrick Conley. Welcome to The Inner Life, helping you to live out your Catholic faith today through the counsel of our top-notch spiritual directors. Glad you've joined us. My name is Patrick Conley. Now, I'll be honest, I have a lot to learn about the law, about legislation, about legal proceedings. Most of what I think I know has probably come from fictitious television legal dramas, quite frankly, which probably misinform me as much as they educate me. But still, one legal date that has been imprinted on my mind is January 22nd, 1973. I'm betting you know it too. The date the landmark Roe v. Wade decision was handed down by the Supreme Court legalizing abortion in our nation. And in response, of course, the Catholic Church in the United States has set aside every January 22nd, so that's today, as the day of prayer for the legal protection of unborn children. And even though the Dobbs decision in June of 2022 overturned Roe v. Wade on the federal level, now each state determines the legality of abortion within its borders. And as you know, in many states, access to abortion has been expanded rather than restricted. So the necessity to pray for the legal protection of the unborn is as strong as ever. But the ways of defending human life from conception to natural death go beyond our capital buildings and courthouses. We have manifold ways of living out the gospel of life and defending the sanctity and dignity of human life, even in our day-to-day routines. If Jesus himself said that he came, that we might have life and have it more abundantly, it stands to reason that he would continue offering that abundant life to you and through you to the world around you. So today on the show, we're talking about all that it means to be a pro-life Catholic. Let's say hello to our spiritual director for the hour, Father Carter Griffin. Father Griffin is the rector of St. John Paul II Seminary in Washington, D.C., and the author of Forming Fathers, Seminary Wisdom for Every Priest, Why Celibacy, Reclaiming the Fatherhood of the Priest, and Cross-Examined Catholic Responses to the World's Questions. Father Griffin, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you. Thank you, Patrick. It's good to be back. Oh, and you're sounding very nice and clear on this Monday morning, too. I'm glad to hear that. Thanks for being with us. So, uh, Father, um, being pro-life, I mean, it's it's something that uh, is not just a it's not just a legal position. It's not just a political position, but it's something that is inherent in what we understand to be God's God's uh, what he's given us. He's given us this great gift of life. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, it's it's um it has been. Sort of, it's morphed into kind of a legal question, and we march. I mean, I was just marching in the March for Life on Friday, and and beautiful experience of of a predominantly Catholic march, really, and kind of the the very positive feel of it, and you know, the desire to to emphasize the gift of life, um, and all of that is important. But you're right, fundamentally, this is a simply a kind of the natural reaction to our gratitude for our own life and also the call of the Lord to, to, to defend other innocent human lives. Uh, and certainly the unborn, are, it's about as innocent as you can get. Uh, so sure. I think this, is, this, this stems from being a part of the human family. It also stems from our faith. And only then 
uh, does it flow into kind of culture and, and politics and so forth? Yeah, right, right, exactly. Um, Jeremiah 1.5 is frequently used, I think, as a, a primary text for the pro-life movement. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And uh, that is one of the foundational ways that we understand, too, that God has given us this great gift of life. He loved us before our birth and created us good. He created us Christians, and so we have a fundamental duty as Christians then to respect the dignity of the human person. Um, Any thoughts particularly on this or other scriptures where we find this great gift of life, Father? Yeah, and what I what, one thing to point out just about that Jeremiah, Jeremiah text is that you know the the beginning of the of that verse before I formed you in the womb I knew you meaning before not just before we were born but before we even existed God knew right. us right that our that that our that we were loved into being and and that's not true just for us that's true for for everyone I mean, you know and and to be able to see with the eyes of faith means to see others as this gift that God wants them to be. To himself, first of all, right? That we are the gift of uh, um, to 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 the Father, Jesus says in the upper room. I mean, I think uh, fundamentally to think of the um, the text from from early Genesis, you know, and and the creation of man. And this is and this was like the pinnacle of creation was really creating those who are made in His image and likeness, unlike every other creature. Uh, there's an old there's an old tradition that says that, uh, or tradition, or whatever. It's a speculation or perhaps just legend but but i think it's, it tells a truth and that is that the human race was created by god in order to make up for the angels that had fallen um and to populate heaven uh in the same number the fullness of time will come when sort of that that number has been replaced that again is sort of maybe more legendary who knows maybe it's true um <laughs> but it but it reflects something of kind of the unique unique uh, the uniqueness of human beings in the eyes of God, right? There is something that is really special, even although angels are greater than us in natural power and 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 so forth. Uh, there is a dignity that human beings have all alone from every other creature, including angels, uh, namely that God Himself became incarnate as a man. So to see the kind of the wonder of being human, of being human, and to see the dignity of human beings is, I think, the start of having a pro-life mentality. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, this is already suggesting to me one way in which I am, need to be continually challenged is when I when I meet other human beings, regardless of when and where it is. Maybe it's people like my wife that I see every day, thanks be to God, but uh, or it might be somebody I just happen across, you know, in this grocery store or something like that, that yet kind of having this reality um, present to me. To understand that, hey, this person, just as you said, Father, has been loved into being by God. That in and of itself, just cultivating that mentality uh, might be a good place to start in terms of um, really living our lives out as pro-life Catholics. Yeah, I think that's brilliant, you know, because, you know, it doesn't have to have to start with something really big or, uh, you know, kind of um, something that's going to dramatically change our life. It's just, can I look at a crowd and instead of just being a, seeing a, a mob of people, Right. see individual human beings that have you know that are worth uh you know that were redeemed by a single blood of christ but were worth the entire you know every drop of blood right and every single one of those people or yeah the person at the cash register or my my friend or the person who even the person who has hurt me or cut me off in traffic or the person who treated me unjustly like mm-hmm. all of these to really to try to have that supernatural outlook on the human beings that i encounter in my life I think you're exactly right. That's kind of the seed in the beginning of, of where this kind of attitude, this, this pro-life attitude begins. 
I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up well <laughs> part of me anyways glad you brought up the person the guy who cut me off in traffic too father because <laughs> I mean I guess when we're thinking about that I I mean that in and of itself even Jesus's command to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us that seems to me to reveal something about the dignity of human life too I mean the every natural instinct I have is to say all right they did something wrong to me I'm going to do something wrong to them right or I'm going right. to I'm going to make them pay for that and yet there must be something inherent in the dignity of human life if Jesus is telling us, no, don't return evil for evil, but rather pray for them and uh, return or overcome evil with good, as he says. And that's hard. I mean, that's really, yeah, <laughs> you know, to right. take that practical example, if someone's cutting you off, I mean, it, it takes that moment of kind of pausing, turning inward, really asking for the grace. And then, yes, saying, saying a prayer. For, this is not superhuman. This is, this is totally within, especially you know, with grace, we are capable of doing this. And, and I think we live in a, in such a highly charged age, um, kind of the, you know, anger is fomented and nurtured and fostered. I mean, there is another option, right? Which is really to turn, to turn inward, ask for the grace, maybe pray to our lady to help, you know, to see with her eyes and then, yeah, say a prayer for that person to just come cut you off in traffic. It's, it's not a bad, not a bad resolution. <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> pray for me. We need prayers for that, right? Because I'm going to need it, certainly, and I'm guessing a lot of us are going to need that. So, Oh, all of us do. And, of course, <laughs> yeah. it's it's often not just being cut off in traffic. I mean, sometimes they're real well, right. injustices, and oh, this, right. this is when it becomes especially difficult, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. And I think, that, well, let me just pause here and invite our listeners into the conversation, because I think there's many ways in which we can be, as I've, as I've already posited, that we can live our lives out as pro-life Catholics. And I'd love to get some listeners' opinions on that, too. Do you consider yourself a, a pro-life Catholic? Do you live your, live your life out in support of the pro-life movement? Do you pray for an end to abortion? Are there other ways in which you, you help, uh, well, help not just with the legal fight, but just with maintaining our Lord's good graces in terms of the dignity? and sanctity of each human life. Give us a call and join the conversation on our toll-free studio line, 888-914-9149, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. Again, that number, 888-914-9149. Our email address, relevantradio.com. Talking about being a pro-life Catholic today on the show with our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin. Uh, Father Griffin, I think uh, from the from the collect today um, for the for the protection uh, the legal protection of the unborn um, specifically one of the one of the words or phrases that are used in that collect is um, we pray that we whom you have made stewards of creation remain uh, may remain faithful to the sacred trust and constant in safeguarding the dignity of human life. Maybe just do a little work there in tying those two things together. What does it mean that we are stewards of creation and then that we are called to safeguard the dignity of every human life? How does that, how does that work in our day-to-day lives? Sure. Um, well, I mean, the stewards of creation, of course, is <clears throat> excuse me, that ancient kind of that ancient idea going back to Genesis that, that we are invited into the creative work of the Father, and that is of, of God. And that is not a function of sin, right? That, that our cooperative work in the garden, tilling the garden, and all that that involves, all that that entails, is something that is part of the dignity that we have as human beings, um, that God made us, and he made us, and then invites us to help him um, in ways that are, of course, um, we don't actually help God in a way that he couldn't be helped, he, but he desires that. He desires that, that, that stewardship. And, and part of that, of course, is recognizing that in our stewardship, we have, we have a, 
of duty and uh, and the joy of of protecting the material creation um, and and all that that involves and and making sure that it is a hospitable and habitable place for for human beings for generations to come um, is something that is is part of that stewardship. But it's it's frankly not the most important part of the stewardship. The most important part of the stewardship is protecting each other and making mm-hmm. sure that 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 those who are most precious to God in the natural order, in the created material order, that is to say human beings, are the first kind of object of our solicitude in living out that stewardship. And so to safeguard the dignity of other human beings seems to be not a kind of accidental, but intrinsic to, to being good stewards of, of creation, because we are each created, uh, and each of us as creatures is, is the object of the other person's um, solicitude. So we care for each other. You know, people say, oh, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, well, yes, you are, actually, and, and so am I. Um, and that, uh, to, be, to, to care for each other in that way is part of what unites us as Christians. And it's the, it's the, it's the distortions of this that often create the most powerful enemies of the church, right? It, it's taking this truth and turn whether it's in whether it's in communism or you know all these different ways of of uh, of kind of twisting this this truth because but the reason why these could be so successful and the reason why they can they can attract so many followers uh, is because they're they're holding on to something which is in fact true which is that we're supposed to care for each other and so sometimes you know there can be a little bit of a concern or a suspicion about those who talk about a wider understanding of the pro life. Movement and you know from beyond abortion to other to other areas and I I understand some of those concerns and it can be used to kind of dilute the importance of the abort you know the abortion I mean this is the slaughter of innocent children in the womb is obviously a huge you know uh, it's a blight really on our national and our on our on our whole culture um, but I do think that there is something to be said for saying that we also have to look at are we caring for the poor are we caring for you know those who are disadvantaged in different ways are we caring for the elderly. Are we caring for others? Because those have to be part of the conversation as well, even if there is a kind of privileged or special spot that we give to our attention to abortion. Yeah, yeah, uh, I I very much agree, and I think that that's a that's very a very salient point. I think as we're talking about being a pro life Catholic here on the show today. If you have ways or even questions about um, what it means to be a pro-life Catholic and different ways of reaching out and uh, upholding and guarding, safeguarding, as the colleagues say, the dignity of every human life, give us a call and join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Well, Father, um, any things right off the top of our head? I mean, you've already gotten into it some, and I want to make sure that we spend uh, the good portion of the show talking about these things, uh, specific ways to serve the whole pro-life community of being an active part of the pro-life community. So um, what are some of the practical ways in which we can uphold the dignity of human life? Yes, particularly in the womb, um, but also, as you've already indicated, beyond that as well, looking after the poor, the elderly, and um, those who are suffering. Sure. <clears throat> well, I mean, I think the um, it's not a throwaway to say that it begins in prayer and sacrifice. That has to be the fuel of the whole pro-life movement. If it's not grounded in that, then it won't be grounded in grace which means that it won't really um, be the work of the Lord that we're doing. It'll just be a human work. So we're all praying and we're sacrificing hopefully every day uh, for an end to abortion and for um, a, a culture of life to emerge once again in our country uh, and in the world. Um, I think becoming informed intellectually is important. Knowing about what, the, what abortion is, what, it, what, it, what the cost it has, the number of, the number of victims of abortion, um, and, and those victims, by the way, are the children, but they're also the mothers, and very often those who are forced in fear, you know, to, to have abortions. Um, 
but also other other physician-assisted suicide, um, different aspects of in vitro fertilization, you know, contraception. M many forms of contraception are abortifacients, right? So becoming informed on these things and to see that it's a it's a broader thing than than, than abortion itself. I, I think honestly, one thing that we can all do is um, is grow in our understanding, our awareness of the need for kind of a, a, a culture of chastity and holy purity. Um, mm -hmm. That that so much of so many abortions come from, first of all, a failure of chastity, of loving well. Right, chastity is the virtue which enables us to love well, physically and emotionally and spiritually. And so, like that, I think is a huge. What the more the, the more that we're able to promote that wider culture of chastity, the, the less we're going to have to worry about, you know, abortion or anything, any other threats to life. Um, very practically, I think contributing with time, you know, and financially to different pro-life causes, clinics, you know, uh, emergency uh, assistance to mothers, um, you know, things like that, crisis pregnancies, um, Project Rachel and so forth. And then the legal side of it, right? We need to be voting. We need to be voting for candidates who have a track record and are not just saying saying nice things about you know the pro-life movement but actually have a plan you know for for moving the ball downfield in whatever way they can given you know in local or state or federal jurisdictions um writing letters contributing to different you know so there's kind of the legal advocacy side of it um but i think those come sort of as a follow-up to uh to that kind of those those issues of prayer and sacrifice and knowledge and you know growing in chastity and, and forging chastity and others um, contributing our time and financially. Um, right. So anyway, it's, it's a package, you know, but I think all everyone can do at least some of those things, and, and certainly everyone can pray and sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, very good. Again, our spiritual director today, Father Carter Griffin, rector of St. John Paul II Seminary in Washington, D.C., talking about being a pro-life Catholic. If you have ways in which you support the pro-life movement and play a part in that, we'd love to hear what those are, and maybe have suggestions for people on how they might get involved as well. 888-914-9149. Maybe you have questions, too, about uh, specifically what are the roles, or what are the church rules, excuse me, on uh, in terms of safeguarding the dignity of human life and how do we go about that in our day-to-day -day lives. Give us, give us a call at 888-914-9149 or send us an email, innerlife at relevantradio.com. We're going to come back with more of the program with your phone calls coming up right after this short break, so stay with us. Thanks to our sponsor, the University of Dallas, the Catholic University for Independent Thinkers. UD's rigorous liberal arts education forms the mind and nourishes the soul to produce graduates who renew our culture. Find out more and access a free guide on choosing a college at relevantradio.com slash UDallas. With uncommon courage, we must do justice, not only by protecting innocent people in life, but by correcting injustice and rebuilding opportunities so that mothers and fathers can flourish, may we always realize that our wisdom and our strength is found by humbly seeking God's direction for the path ahead. Benjamin Watson clip from the March for Life this year as we're talking about being a pro-life Catholic here on The Inner Life today. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to get in on the conversation, our number here is 888-914-9149. Let's uh, go to the phones. Julia is calling in from Nevada. Good morning, Julia. Thank you for calling. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. I just had a quick question before I got into work. So, 
Uh, how do you guys justify not getting an abortion in cases of where a woman is raped? Yeah. Thanks, Julia. It's a it's a great question, and it's a <clears throat> it's also brought up sometimes in the question of somebody conceived at incest or other ways that there can be you know real injustices. Um, and and the first thing to it, to point out is just that that it. <laughs> It, it, nothing that anyone is going to say is going to justify or should justify uh, the rape itself, right? That is, that is an injustice that is almost unspeakable, and somebody who commits that needs to be brought to justice. Um, the question is, what happens to the child, right? And the child who is conceived is, of course, not guilty of rape. Um, and as as painful as it is to say it, it needs to be said that 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 that, that killing that child would 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 also be an injustice. Um, and so the innocence of the child. I think you know one way to kind of think about this is that if the child had already been born, would the fact that the child had been conceived in rape justify killing the child? And of course, I don't think many people would say yes. But that doesn't—it's not an easy thing. And so there, there is clearly the need for justice, you know, for, to be done there, and also an accompaniment for, for, for the woman in that period of of, of giving birth to that child. Um, sometimes women who are who have children conceived in this way decide to have the child give up for 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 adoption. Um, but the fact is there's just no way around kind of the difficult statement to say that every child in the womb is innocent uh, and nothing, nothing can justify k- killing that child. So that's, I think that's, that would be the, how I would respond to that very difficult but very important question that you bring up. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think a lot of times this, this question does come up, and it is. It is a good question. Thank you for asking it, Julia. Thanks for calling in and asking the question. Um, is that it seems like, or it can seem like in our modern society, the way that we think about, or we're, I think we're influenced to think about things, that it seems like an injustice to the mother who is the victim of this horrible crime, right? right. I mean, it's so deeply violating in so many ways, not just physically, but um, in so many ways. And then um, it seems to, that, okay, now she's forced to to carry this child to term. I mean, even if she decides to give it up for adoption. So, I mean, in that, I mean, in the face of that, and maybe this gets into something we want to talk about anyway, Father, but um, of course we want to show compassion to this woman who has suffered this deeply horrendous violation um, but at the same time, and to to stand up for the life of the child within her womb as well. Um, so, any ideas or any any ways in which we can talk about this with compassion while not deviating from the truth of God? Well, I mean, I think that the, you've even as you laid the question out, I think you've given an example of of what needs to be done there. Right? We have to acknowledge what is um, some of the very painful emotional truths and and. Um, and, and also some of the ways of thinking about this and other issues that are that are kind of widespread today then to and to sort of start where people are right and if we just jump right into some of the weeds and kind of you know tackle these difficult issues um, without sort of laying a certain amount of foundation before that it's going to be very hard to have a conversation when the when so many assumptions are already there um, and and the assumptions are not always accurate especially if they're drawn from the a wider culture which is you know often in favor of in favor of abortion and other anti-life measures. So I think we have to be very, very respectful of where people are um, and, and also very conscious that we, um, that we set the right tone, you know, in conversations, you know, that it's not just a question of kind of winning an argument or winning kind of political points, but, but actually acknowledging the care and the concern that we do have for, 
the women involved and for others who are involved in abortions. I mean, the, 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 uh, even the, the doctors and the politicians and all those people who make it more possible, you know, make it possible for this to happen. I mean, they, they should still be, uh, you know, in our prayers and we should always be wanting the. There have been many, you know, very, very significant converts among them who have become some of the greatest advocates for the pro-life movement. So my own point is that just that we have an attitude which is not one of condemning, not one of kind of just winning arguments. Um, I think we try to get under, I think that there are oftentimes these underlying assumptions or almost like a worldview that people bring to these conversations. And mm-hmm. sometimes rather than going right into the thick of the, con- of the argument or the discussion point itself, to kind of scale back a little bit, like a how, well, how do we look at human beings, right? I mean, what, what are some of the assumptions we're making about the dignity of human beings? And those assumptions may not be the same on both sides. And, and if so, then it's not going to do a lot of good to talk about something downstream when you have a very different view of even what human beings are. Um, I think one thing that we can try to do is, is um, offer to read something together or maybe even read something like each of you gives an article to the other person. Like that could often, I found that to be really helpful sometimes because what it does is it sort of makes the discussion a little bit more, maybe not quite so emotional, you know, say like in, um, in, in a family or something like that, where you can, where you can each look at something outside of yourselves and kind of talk about it. And sometimes that can lead to a more measured and kind of rational discussion. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, if the person is a Christian or is, is at least a believer, you know, to, to try to start with prayer, um, vocal prayer out loud, or at least just in your own heart, you know, praying to that person's guardian angel and your own, um, praying for wisdom, praying for, to the Holy Spirit for light. Um, I think all of those are kind of different aspects that we can bring to these, to these discussions. And mercy, right? We, we, we cannot fail to talk about mercy. Mercy for the child, mercy for the mother, mercy for those who make all of this industry possible. Yeah, and maybe tying in what we were talking about earlier, Father, is recognizing that the person who may be disagreeing with us has still been loved into being and carries the yep. dignity of his or her own uh, human life as well. That's and we need exactly to stand yeah. up for his or her life as well. Yeah. Anyway, Julia, thank you so much for the call. Appreciate that. Good question. And we'll continue to uh, speak about those types of things here on Relevant Radio and all of our different programs, I'm sure. So thank you for listening and thanks for calling in. Let's go now to Thomas calling in from California. Good morning, Thomas. Thanks for calling The Inner Life. Good morning, Father. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call, and thank you for the day-to-day championing for human life and human dignity. Uh, myself, as a hospice physician for the past 10 years, I'm in a position really to um, make sure that God's love in each soul is um, manifest. And, and so I'm actually sitting in my parking lot right outside Blessed Sacrament Church in Westminster, California here, and you know that's how I start my day, because, you know, He's the true physician, and when we talk about the dignity of human life from conception to natural death, that's what I that's what I do, and that's what, you know what my team does. You know, um, never never overlooking the fact that God's mercy is present, and you know, um, and so um, in terms of what we do for the pro life movement, you know, I in my cars I drive to see patients, um, praying the divine mercy. These are patients who themselves and their families need us, and. Um, uh, again, I'm just a small part in a, in a in in God's work loving His people. Yeah, thanks, Thomas. That's a um, it's a tremendous reminder and such an important work that you do. Uh, it, uh, the when we say conception to natural death, I mean the two uh, stand or fall together. And so when we when we recognize and and honor 
uh, people at the end of their lives and respecting them and the dignity that they have um, and, and, and really resisting kind of the tendency, this very highly utilitarian tendency of the wider culture to see people through the lens of how productive or how useful they are, how, you know, how, if they can speak properly still, if they can function, if they can, if they can, if they're ambulatory, all these different kind of assumptions that are kind of made that people lose their dignity when they lose some of their capacities. Um, and, and, and living your life as you are at you and your team, they're in hospice. It's, it's, you're living your life in such a way that is a direct confrontation to that, right? And it's acknowledging the beauty and the dignity of these lives to the time that God calls them home. Um, and, and that's a, that's a very powerful pro-life witness. And it's something that I think a lot of us, you know, can, uh, even if your people are very committed to the, let's say, you know, with abortion, there may still be sometimes people who kind of give in a little bit to this and sort of think like, wouldn't it be better if, if some of these older people were, you know, if they were given the kind of the death with dignity or whatever the slogans are of the, of the day. And it's like, no, right. That they, that they have honor, that we honor them and dignify them to the very end when God calls them home and obviously not doing, you know, unnatural, unnecessary things to kind of keep somebody alive, you know, but, but at the same time, allowing that natural process to take its course and, and doing that with the, and finding that balance is, is really an art and <laughs> partly science, but, but a lot of, a lot of an art uh, that you're engaged in every day. So it's a beautiful work and a beautiful witness, Thomas. Yeah. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you for your work. Thank you for starting your day outside of Blessed Sacrament Parish. We are grateful for your faith and that you're living that out as a hospice physician as well. Thank you so much for listening and for the call as well. And Father, maybe that opens up the whole end-of-life issues. Maybe can you just give us a, a, a quick just kind of understanding of the Church's understanding of it, at the end stages of life. You were get, starting to get into it for some as well. Things like sure. uh, not physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia or anything like that. But uh, yeah, what are the Church's teachings around that? Well, maybe just a couple of points to add to what I've what I've said, and that one of them is that going back to an earlier point we were discussing, and that is that we are not that we are stewards of creation, but that also means stewards of our own bodies. That we don't own our bodies, and you know when we when we own something, we get tired of it or it's no longer useful. We can throw it away. Um, that's what I'm afraid. Sometimes there's a, a throwaway culture that is that has seeped into the to the understanding of the human being. So once, once it's no longer useful or doing what we want it to do, we can kind of discard it. And and I think part of that also emerges from a kind of a culture that really doesn't understand suffering anymore. And, and that suffering becomes the ultimate evil. And once we can no longer get rid of the suffering or the indignities that come sometimes with old age, then, it, then the thing just needs to be kind of snuffed out. Whereas for Christians, we believe suffering not only to not be the worst evil to befall us, that would be sin, separation from God, that's the worst evil, but that suffering has actually been redeemed and sanctified by Christ. It doesn't mean we don't suffer anymore, but it means that it has a directionality, it has a purpose, right? That when we suffer well, we bring untold grace into the world, right? Fulton Sheen said there's nothing worse than wasted suffering. Um, and so allowing death to take its natural course, even when there is suffering, even when there are indignities involved, is a huge part of what it means to be good stewards of, of our bodies, good stewards of creation. Uh, and there's a tremendous amount of pressure, especially with physician-assisted suicide, on older people or people with terminal illnesses or whatever it might be to, to, um, to, to take this option of, of essentially you know, allowing the doctor to help them commit suicide and so when, when, when the calculus changes for the, for the elderly people to no longer, you know, are you going to choose this you know, end-of-life option, but instead, are you going to choose not to die, which seems to be almost selfish, 
Like that's a tremendous pressure we've now put on older people in places where physician-assisted suicide is permitted um, that I think is extremely unjust. You know? So I think protecting innocent life and also protecting end of life are both really essential. Yeah, absolutely. Again, our spiritual director today, Father Carter Griffin, we're talking about being a pro-life Catholic and many ways in which you can continue to lend your support to to pro-life efforts across the country and around the world as part of your Catholic faith that's part and parcel to the great love and dignity that God has given to you and to your human life as well and the human lives of all those around you. Give us a call and join the conversation if you have other ways of being involved or questions about how to be a good pro-life Catholic, 888-914-9149. Our email address is innerlife at relevantradio.com. Kathleen is calling in now from Naperville, Illinois. Kathleen, welcome to the Inner Life. Thanks for calling in. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, thank you, Father Griffin. Um, this is a great lead-in from the last ta- uh, caller, Thomas, for my my witness. Uh, 22 years ago, as a parent, I was pregnant with our second child, and the physicians uh, recommended some uh, that I end pregnancy because he has Down syndrome. And um, you know, as a Catholic, we that di- didn't stay in the conversation very long. And Christian has blessed us beyond measure. I wrote a book to share with the world the an, an alternative situation that sometimes there are stereotypes that your your child, if they have special needs, is going to be such a burden, and um, in many in so many different ways. And it is the exact opposite for us and for our family in numerous ways, just that Christian has shown us what is patience, what is unconditional love, um, and has been, uh, has given gifts to us that we have far exceeded anything that we could have done for Christian. I've shared my book with the Pregnancy Crisis Centers just to give an opportunity to see what does a day, what what does the world look like to have a child with special needs in your life? And it's called Count It All Joy which is a biblical reference, um, and it truly is looking for the joy despite his limitations and his disabilities and seeing God's true presence that he has blessed our lives. So I just wanted to, to share that, um, that that is an alternative life that you can have with a child with special needs, that you will be the one that is enriched through God's blessing to give you a child Amen. Yeah, no, I think that's, oh, wow. What a, I wish we, we could get that message out to everyone listening and beyond, you know, because it's, uh, it is certainly one of the most common thoughts today that, you know, and it's almost an assumption that if the child has been deemed to be defective in one way or another, that obviously, you know, end the pregnancy and try again. Uh, and, and that counter witness that you're giving, know the dignity of this person simply because he or she doesn't have the same kind of abilities and mental capacity or whatever it might be. Um, and it's more than just protecting that life because God has loved that life. That certainly is a part of it. But also in humility, as you're speaking about, being able to receive from that human being, that, that person, that child, um, uh, gifts that, that, that even perhaps, let's say, a, normally capa- you know, a, nor- a child with normal capacities wouldn't, wouldn't be able to give. Right? That they're, they're unique gifts that God wants to give um, through children with special needs. And and like you've, I'm sure, heard over and over again from other families, your experience uh, is very, very common, you know, and, and to know 
that, yeah, there are challenges. It's going to be difficult. It, you know, because there are gifts doesn't mean they're not sacrifices that go along with it. Um, but it is so worth it to say yes to life and to, and to trust that God is going to do something really special in your family by saying yes to that life, which maybe the world sees as defective, but we as Christians know is not, is, is just as valuable as, as, as you and me. Uh, it's a great witness, Kathleen. Thank you. And thanks for letting us know the name of that book. Sounds like a great book. Indeed. Thank you, Kathleen. Thanks for the call, and thanks for your great living out of God's call in your life. As a, yeah, what, a, what a wonderful call to be a mother in that situation. Thank you so much. Great testimonies we're hearing here on being pro-life Catholics. If you are pro-life Catholic and live out your faith in a particular ways in support of the pro-life movement, please give us a call. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Or if you have questions about how you might better be involved in the pro-life movement, 888-914-9149. Our email address, if you'd prefer, is innerlife at relevantradio.com. We'll be back with more of The Inner Life coming up right after this short break. Thanks to our sponsor, the University of Dallas, the Catholic University for Independent Thinkers. UD's rigorous liberal arts education forms the mind and nourishes the soul to produce graduates who renew our culture. Find out more and access a free guide on choosing a college at relevantradio.com slash udallas. Back to the inner life here on Relevant Radio. My name is Patrick Conley. My thanks to Nick Sentovich producing our show for us and Sarah Tafoya on the phones today for us. Thank you, Sarah, for that. And to our spiritual director as well, Father Carter Griffin, as we're talking about being a pro-life Catholic. And one of the great ways we can always be a pro-life Catholic is to draw closer to our Lord, who, again, brings life and brings it abundantly. And we can do that through the holy sacrifice of the Mass and through his presence to us in the Blessed Sacrament. And you can do it, too, by joining Relevant Radio. All of us are going to be out at the Eucharistic Congress later on this year in July of 2024 in Indianapolis. If you're thinking about that, well, continue to think about it, pray about it, but check out relevantradio.com slash encounter for the travel packages that Nativity Pilgrimage has put together for us there. Again, that's relevantradio.com slash encounter. Well, uh, as we're continuing our conversation on being a pro-life Catholic and living that out in our day-to-day spiritual lives, our day-to-day physical lives as well, let's go back to the phones. Philip is calling in from Michigan. Philip, welcome to The Inner Life. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, not always do we see the fruits from our labors, but uh, I thought I should sh- share this story, which is uh, very profound and beautiful. Uh, we've been praying in front of Planned Parenthood for over 20 years, uh, a group of Catholics, and 40 Days for Life came on board, uh, which was a Protestant uh, organization, as I'm sure everyone's uh, aware of them. And uh, <laughs> One day, our coordinator from 40 Days for Life, with a huge smile, came up to us as we were preparing to pray the rosary, and he said, wait till you hear this. And he told this beautiful story of a woman that came up to him with her 13-year-old son in tow. And she said, on a cold November day, during the rainstorm, I pulled into this parking lot to set my appointment for my abortion in Grand Rapids. And I looked and saw three people praying the beads And I wondered, what are they doing in this rain? Who are they? How can they be doing this? And she pondered the moment. And she said, I can't. I can't go through with it. She turned around, went back home, and she gave birth to a boy. 
And 13 years later, she comes down to tell the story to our coordinator, and he shared it with all of us. And, uh, and you know, that is a grace for every pro-life out there, everybody that's on the front lines praying the rosary. Don't give up. Keep that witness alive. We're not going to be able to realize these fruits, and that's n- not important. Uh, we have the faith and the trust that God is doing all the work. He just needs us out there on the front line. Yeah, Philip, thank you. Um, I, I think it's a great message because, you know, um, yeah, we take the seminarians also. We, you know, we're praying in front of the Planned Parenthood Clinic, and there's, you know, we're in downtown Washington, D.C. There's a lot of, you know, people say pretty nasty things to you, and you sort of wonder, like, what am I doing here? Is this actually doing any good? And it's, it's easy to fall into that trap or at least to be tempted by it. And it's stories like, like the one you just told, and, there, and there, there are countless stories like that out there, but it's a powerful, powerful story about that woman with her 13-year-old son. And it's a reminder that, that the fruit, you know, the, it's going to be the other side of the, the, other side of the quilt. You, know, it's, it's, you, you can't see this side of it, but when you turn it around one day on the other side of eternity, and you see all the good that our prayers and our sacrifices and our sufferings, uh, all the witness, you know, and those cold rainy, <laughs> cold rainy days in front of the abortion clinic and all the equivalent, you know, in our life and, and the amount of fruit that it has borne, the number of lives that it has saved, the number of you know, hearts that it has converted. Um, and, and that's, we just have to remember that. And, and you've been doing it for 20 years and you know, that's, it's, uh, it gets hard sometimes, uh, but to stay faithful, that's when, that's when it really counts. You know, that's when mm-hmm. it's most powerful, I think. Philip, great testimony. Thank you for sharing that. Always love to hear uh, stories about women whose minds are changed um, because of the people who are faithfully praying out in front of abortion clinics. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. And it's a great reminder. Obviously, Father, I mean, not not all women's, not all. And, and it's not just on the women, of course, too. I mean, sometimes, as you mentioned earlier, Father, sometimes they're forced into this or they feel forced into it. I mean, uh, by others who are exerting pressure on them to have this abortion. And uh, but sometimes minds are not changed. And abortions obviously um, still are very prevalent in our society today. So maybe some thoughts from you, Father, on um, how do we support women who have had who have had an abortion, who have gone through with it? Um, how might we be of, of support to them? Yeah. Well, I think oftentimes when they speak to a Catholic or to a Christian about, about, uh, about an abortion, if they, if they open up in that way, they probably are doing it with the kind of a, a, a sort of a flinch. You know, they're just, they're ready to be pounced upon. They're ready to be <laughs> judged yeah. harshly. They're ready to be condemned. And sort of the first thing is just how do we, how do we respond in love and in mercy um, in that moment? I think it's so important that they see as much as we're able they are able to see the merciful, loving face of Christ in us, uh, and and loving them for who they are, despite their sin, despite these, you know, which is true for all of us, right? Because we all are sinners. We all need that face of mercy. I think something really important uh, as well for women who have who have had abortions is, um, you know, there's some there's a there's a dissonance going on inside them, and that is that uh, that society tells them that they shouldn't feel bad. Right, that everything you know that abortion was supposed to solve the problem, and and yet they their body is saying something very different. Right, their emotions are saying something very different. There there's something wrong here. There's a grief and 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 there's a mistake that was made. There was a sin that was committed, and I think what what we need to do is is somehow help them to see that dissonance. Right, to and and that there is a place where they can go with their pain. Right, there's a place where they can go with their guilt. and it's not just therapy to understand what's happened. It needs to, you know, a thousand therapists can't forgive a single sin, right? I mean, therapy can be really helpful, don't get me wrong, but it yeah. isn't the same thing. What they, they need a place for that because they've done something wrong. 
and they know that. And everyone else is telling them, no, you haven't. In fact, if anything, you did something admirable. You know, you saved this child from a, you know, all this stuff. But it's like, no, they've done something wrong. And what they need, they need God's mercy. And it's only in that healing of that mercy, which is a mercy that has no bounds, um, that no sin we have is bigger than God. You know, and, and we cannot forgive ourselves, right? They have to bring it somewhere else. They need to bring it to the Lord. And, and once we hopefully open up that path for them, if they're Catholic, hopefully they can receive the sacrament of reconciliation, um, confession. If they're not, then they can you know, certainly ask for, for, for mercy and or ask for forgiveness in their own heart. But it's acknowledging the guilt. I think that's, and, and, and by doing that, you're acknowledging their humanity. You're not saying that you're incapable of sin. You're not de- de- demeaning them and diminishing them. You're saying, yeah, you feel guilty because you've done something wrong. You know, jo- join the club, right? We all need mercy, uh, and you do too. So I think that's uh, I think it's a really important point um, to help them to see this dissonance and bring their guilt somewhere. I think also mentioning, you know, Project Rachel has done so much good. Uh, the um, this is aimed really at women who have had abortions. Uh, HopeAfterAbortion.com uh, at least used to be their. I think it's still their their website. Yep. Um, you know, right so I think now. these yep. are you, yeah. So I think yeah. these are some of the, some of the things we can do, but I think starting with that place, that first face of mercy and then bringing them to mercy, that's kind of fundamentally what we need to be doing. And I think it's worthy of mention just too that, uh, the, the priests of the United States have been given the special dispensation to mm-hmm. forgive the sin of abortion in confession, right father? Right. And to lift the excommunication. Yeah. Because there is yeah. a, uh, an excommunication that goes along with it there is yeah well and so there is always there's mercy there's hope there's help um if you are in that situation i hope that you have someone in your life who's reaching out to you in such very tangible ways and communicating the love of christ to you and letting you know that there is hope there is help to be found out there so um Wonderful ways and wonderful words of encouragement from our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin, talking about being a pro-life Catholic here on the on the show today, on the Inner Life today. Um, Father, so many so many different things and so many ways that we can continue to live out in, in pro-life ways. Um, the that's the call that um, that Christ has given us to to defend, uphold, safeguard um, human dignity. And um, are there any? I guess are there any kind of in, in ways that we're looking at it, I mean, we're called to these um, radical solidarity for pregnant mothers. Um, and and with that radical solidarity that we've been called to, uh, then there must be a way in which we can continue to serve, especially those who are in crisis pregnancy, find themselves in a, in a perhaps undesired pregnancy, um, an unplanned pregnancy. And, uh, and the, how, how might we stand in radical solidarity with pregnant mothers? Yeah, thanks, uh, Patrick. I, I think that that's a good, a helpful way to kind of wrap up the show in, in a way because you know not everyone is going to is is going to ha- is going to be able to stand in front of a pro life clinic or you know take some of the heat that goes along with that with that. Not everyone's going to be able to be super involved politically, um, but I think a place where I mean, in addition to the spiritual support that where everyone can do, we can be supportive of mothers who are open to. Um, to help in in the midst of a crisis pregnancy. And part of that radical solidarity that the bishops are calling for uh, is actually being being implemented in parishes, right, all across the country. It's called Walking with Moms in Need. And these are local parish organizations that can help pregnant mothers. Um, But being involved in whatever, whether it's that in your local parish or maybe a pregnancy center, um, just being present to these women who oftentimes just need a loving 
you know, uh, uh, kind of kindness on the part of somebody who understands their turmoil, um, but also maybe giving advice, giving shelter to people, giving food, bringing food, bringing diapers, other assistance. Uh, we, we have to put our money and our time where our mouth is. If we're talking yeah. about being pro-life and, and stopping the scourge of abortion, that also means trying to help as best we can women who are in crisis pregnancies and are willing to to give to give life a chance, right? Then we have to be there with them. It can't just be, you know, saying good, good, good luck and do the best you can and walk away. Right? So that's kind of I think a really important of aspect of this. We can't lose that tension, holding on to the kind of the fighting abortion, but also fighting for the good of the mothers who are struggling. Amen to that. Let's see if we can squeeze in one more phone call. Father Claudia has been waiting patiently in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Claudia, only a little bit of time left, but welcome to the Inner Life. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. Thank you so much for all your examples of how to dialogue and love with um, people about this topic. Um, I, I was struck when you mentioned about um, being, you know, our, our, our Catholic Christian concept of being a steward of our life, um, which we understand, um, hopefully. But I think a lot of other people um, might understand, you know, the, the concept of being a steward of creation and the steward of the environment I wonder if that could be a way also to dialogue with someone, you know, not not in the midst of a crisis pregnancy, but when you're talking to somebody about this topic, people understand that, the concept of being a steward of the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a way to, to connect that so that people could start to understand that, the, you know, the life that's in the environment uh, is worthy and, the, and a gift and also our own lives are a gift. Hmm. I think so. Yeah, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, there's a kind of a movement towards kind of a human ecology, which uh, Pope Benedict actually began some of that conversation. Pope Francis has continued it. Um, but that, that, that idea of being a steward, of like that I am not in total radical control of something, but that I have to care for something, like that is something that you're right. I, it, there's a kind of a commonality. We can, we can work with people of our, of our age who understand that in respect to kind of the, the wildlife and the environment around us, the physical environment, and maybe b- extending that concept and saying, yeah, but that actually also applies to you and to me and trying to find that common bond. I think that's a really effective kind of apostolic piece of just like trying to find common language, a common concepts that we can start from, and then hopefully in that conversation, draw them into a deeper understanding of some of the deeper truths, uh, like, like the dignity of every human life. Wonderful, Claudia. Thank you for the suggestion. Great tip. Great conversation today, Father. Thank you for being our spiritual director. May we have a blessing from you, please? be happy to, Patrick. Thanks for the great conversation. May the blessing of Almighty God descend upon you, your families and your loved ones, all of our listeners, and all who made this show possible. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm guessing there might be some people who have come to mind who might want to hear part of this program that you need to share it with. You can find all of our programs, all of our past programs at relevantradio.com slash inner life. So check that out and uh, do do share it with those who need to hear this encouraging, uplifting message of being a pro-life Catholic in the world today. Coming up next is the Holy Sacrifice in the Mass with our celebrant today, Father Edward Looney. And tomorrow on the program, we're going to be talking about sin and the great mercy of God with our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson. Until then, grace and peace.